Hello there, film friends, and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast, season two. I'm your host, Neve Brannigan, and today we'll be starting off with a chat with myself and Jerry Maguire. No, not Tom Cruise. The head of Irish Film London, Jerry, and I will be catching you up with all the latest and greatest news in Irish film, TV, and animation. And then I am joined with Stacey Gregg, who's the writer and director of her new feature film, Here Before. Here Before is about a bereaved mother, Laura, played by Andrea Rosenborough, who sees a striking similarity to her late daughter Josie in the little girl Megan who's just moved in next door. The sense conveyed is that emotional scars are still there even if the wounds no longer bleed and as parents Brendan and Laura especially have been making an effort to be present for son Tyke so he doesn't feel stranded by the presence of grief in the house. Little things Megan says and does leads Laura to believe there's a connection between the kid next door and her late daughter. Could Josie's soul have transmigrated after death into Megan? The film explores the way profound grief can become a path leading to belief in reincarnation and maybe supernatural beliefs. These form the thematic tarmac for Here Before. Enjoy! Hello there, Jerry. How are you this week? Hello, Naven. Very well, thank you. Uh, it's a busy week because we're getting ready for our St. Patrick's Film Festival. Yes. But, um, yeah, there's a lot going on. A lot going on this week. We briefly kind of uh, touched on some of the events that are going to be coming up in our last podcast, but the weekend is upon us. So what exactly is the schedule? What can people look forward to this weekend? So uh, tonight opens the St. Patrick's Film Festival, which is a small or a smaller event than the one in November, but still quite a significant one for us at Irish Film London. We're opening um, tonight with a film called Fosca, which we've talked about here on the pod before. Um, and it's pretty much sold out, by the way, which is really, really cool. Um, it's at a, a venue called Catford Muse in Lewisham. I think that's Lewisham's only independent cinema. Beautiful little site that's taken over um, kind of a disused retail space, I think, by the oh, looks cool. of it. Um, but really, really cool. So Sean Brehna and I caught up earlier in the week. We pre-recorded a Q&A for that, and that's on at, I think that's on at 8 o'clock tonight. Um, then we're back there on Sunday afternoon for a screening of The Secret of Kells. Handful of tickets left for that. There's a craft workshop afterwards with Manju from Capitar Arts that's taking place in the in the cinema bar. So if anyone hasn't got a ticket for that yet, there's a handful of those left. Sunday, of course, is the big St. Patrick's Parade and Festival at Trafalgar Square. We'll be there as well from 12 to 6. We've got a stall. We have got some fun activities taking place at the stall. You've no got spoilers. some uh, special guests as well, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no spoilers. But we yeah. do have um, special guests coming um, mm. in the form of, shall I say who it is? No, keep them guessing. No, but they're okay. big. They're big names. They oh, are yeah. Yeah. huge names. Huge names, yeah. Mm. We all will be revealed on the IFL socials come Sunday. Yeah. Um, and then Monday evening, where we carry on, we're at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith, uh, where we were last in November, for a preview screening of new film Wolf by Natalie Biancheri. Natalie, the director, and uh, the two stars of the film George Mackay and Eileen Walsh will be with us to talk about that on stage. Um, it's looking like 
it's going to be a really good show. Good few tickets left for that. Um, it's a really big capacity cinema out there. It's nearly 200 seats um, and there's a good few dozen tickets left at the time of recording. So jump on that before they go. And then Tuesday, a couple of days after, see the other things happening at the weekend. Mm. There's, a, there's a couple of awards that are, that are happening. But Tuesday evening, there's a double BAFTA nominated film or screening called Ali and Eva. And that's at the Genesis Cinema in East London. That's on at, I think, 6.15pm. And Irish producer Tracy O'Meara will be joining me to talk on stage about that. So tickets left for that one as well and get on those while you can. Amazing, jam-packed. It's a big programme. Yeah, it's nice. You know what? Everything's in person again. We're just yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And hopefully it. Trafalgar Square won't be a washout like other years, praying that mm. it's dry. Just I even dry. Think, we'll take dry. I think it would be a bit misery but I don't think it'll be a total washout this year yeah so, fingers yeah. crossed but you briefly mentioned Fosca there um, speaking yeah. of Irish films we had um, the results of the audience award from the Dublin Film Festival came in and Colleen Keown won which is so fab I just think it's brilliant yeah. Irish language films are just taking over they are they're taking over I mean like Anyone who has seen or heard of um, Colin Kuhn knows how strong and powerful a film it is. So it's not a massive surprise to know that it got that award. Um, but yeah, how great is it to know that that film, like that Scannon Askeliga is is just got is so strong at the minute. You know? Um, yeah, definitely. I'm gonna I'm gonna start my Irish lessons now, I think. <laughs> get, back, get back into it. Yeah. So apart from Uncanny Kuhn, obviously there's Fosca and that's like that that was the first event to sell out for us this 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 festival. So wow. that's another another really strong one. I believe if you're in the UK over the weekend, the I the BBC premiere of Irish language film um Dunyan is mm-hmm. out and that's then on iPlayer for anyone who doesn't catch it on, on its transmission time. Um so another one is out there. Another I Irish think that's um, I think that's also playing in I could be wrong, but I think it's playing in the IFI in Dublin as well also, which might would yes. be a nice little uh, experience to see it on the big screen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Fosco of course if you're in Ireland has its general release um, in Ireland this weekend as well, which is why Sean's on to join us in person. But we have mm-hmm. the UK premiere of it here in the U- in, in London. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just there's loads of it around. It's so exciting, and this weekend is the correct me if I'm wrong is the IFTAs as well. So we'll have loads to chat about on our next podcast as well. That's one of those award ceremonies I was talking about. Yeah, so mm. the, so the IFTAs on Saturday, and obviously IFTA nominations, which we covered before, full of Irish Film London alumni. There's mm. lots of people there who we've spoken to before, and lots of people who you can expect us to speak to in the future. But the other award ceremony, like it's a jam packed weekend on Sunday night, is the BAFTAs. So. Yes. So the IFTAs on Saturday, BAFTAs on Sunday, and we'll see what comes out of that. We might just end up just doing a podcast, just me and you, in the next one. There'll be so much to chat about. <laughs> That's it. We don't have time to get a guest in. But I have to say, I really, really enjoyed the interview with our guest this week, Stacey Gregg, ch- chatting about her debut feature film, so impressive, here yep. before. So I hope everyone enjoys it, and I will chat to you soon, Jerry. Chat to you later, Nave. Bye. If you're part of the regular Irish Film London audience or want to get more from your experience, consider joining our growing family of members for a range of exciting benefits. 
Irish Film London is a non-for-profit organisation. Our mission is to promote the best new Irish film to audiences all over the UK, and with the help of this podcast, the world. If you become a festival friend or a festival champion, you get perks like discounted tickets for films and events, free access to Irish Film from Home films, and invites to networking events, and so much more. So check it out now. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Stacey Gregg, the writer and director of Here Before. Stacey, welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. Thanks for coming on to chat to me today. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. No worries at all. So I've already given a little bit of uh, a brief um, about the film for any listeners who haven't seen it yet. And I say yes, because if you haven't, you need to go and watch it. So which means we can just kind of dive straight in, which is great. So this is your debut feature film. What an impressive and accomplished feature it is, but it's most definitely not your first piece of writing as you've been writing for theatre and TV for a while now. So what did the jump look like from those mediums into feature film writing? Was it kind of quite a natural shift or was it quite stark or... It, it was both in, in various ways. So um, it was very stark in the sense that I had only directed a short film before I jumped into the feature, which was utterly terrifying not to beat around the bush. Um, but what I realised with hindsight, certainly, and I had an inkling at the time, is that actually I had a lot of transferable skills and, you know, areas that I felt very confident working in um and to sort of just embrace that um and to be sort of very open about the the blank spots (laughs) and the learning curve um but I think that there I think some of the um some of the things that I love about live art and um theatre practice um are not the most obvious things crossing over um one of the things that I love to work that I love to work with with stage work is um uh, our images um, and the visuals uh, and and the thing that I love about performance often is less traditional and much more to do with a sense of liveness and presence and so those were things that I was also probably very much alert to and looking for in the shift to film um, but again the the differences being very very stark as well so the the, you know, the pressure that you're under the the time constraints yes you often only have three weeks to rehearse for a theater show but you know when you're on a shoot you know there's really no luxury of time um and just how much more complicated um the machine is the machinery of filmmaking um so sort of getting getting the handle on that as I was sort of in the driver's seat uh was you know quite an experience but you know an incredible one well, it's it's funny that you say it because it really does feel like like there's no blueprint, you know, on like no one, not everyone makes a film or goes about making a film the same way. So the fact that you already had so many skills to from theatre and TV writing and even from making a short to bring to this table, you know, definitely I imagine would have given you some confidence, but like that you can really only learn so much until you're just thrown into it. Um, and as I said, it, it's it, it's it's super accomplished and really really impressive. So, what was your inspiration for this particular story here before? Uh, so the the premise of the whole uh, film, this idea that a little girl moves somewhere that she could that she's never been before and couldn't possibly know, and starts making observations and saying things like, 
you know, you know, very explicitly driving past the graveyard and going, oh, that's where they put me in the ground or something along those lines. That as a sort of seed had been bouncing around my brain for years and years. And I knew, I think one of the things that pushed me into this is that I knew it wasn't a theatre show. Like I knew it was a film. Um, and so that was the first having never written for screen before this this is even before my you know I started staff writing in tv um that was the story that I sat down and wrote as a screenplay and that became a kind of spec script for me for quite a while as a writer and then as my as I sort of established myself um in the industry as a as a screenwriter um and took on more of a role directing in my theater work those things maybe converged uh, also with this desire that I had long held to direct for film um, and that was around the time then that I made the short. And again, I didn't make the short with an eye to direct in here before as my first full length feature. I hadn't quite connected the two because I, I think truthfully, I didn't want to overburden myself with the short. I just wanted to experience the short and feel quite free doing it. But if I look back now, actually, there are a lot of things that I was clearly exploring and experimenting with that do, I think, translate through to what you see in the, in the feature. Absolutely. And I really am dying to chat about um, Andrea Risenborough because I just like what a what a performer. So she plays Laura um, and she's just such a stunning fit for the role. So how did you find the casting process? And then as well, especially with the children, with Megan and Tyke, who just did stellar jobs. What was yeah. what was that um, process like? I, I loved it. I mean, casting for me is just like magic. I, I, you know, it's one of my favorite processes, when, you know, for what in whatever form I'm working. Um, and I was always really excited about finding those kids. When, so the first, you know, the first big part of the jigsaw once you're getting your finance together is you know Laura because she is you know she she's the main she's you know she's our purse she's our navigator um and when I put a what happened was I put a sizzle reel together for anyone who doesn't know what that is it's like a little taster like a little visual taster um of what you of what your film might feel like and it's usually just to help financiers it, it, you know envision what get on the vision with you get on board um and Andrea quite <laughs> Andrea popped up quite a lot in it um, um, you know, my producers and I were sort of like, God, you know, who, who would we cast? Someone like Andrea, wouldn't it be amazing? Someone like, a... and eventually we all were just kind of like, shall we, shall we ask? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it did feel like, you know, of course she's, I really admire her. I followed her career. She's incredible and she's, in, she's incredibly in demand. She's chocolate. She's always, you know, back to back with work. But anyway, I, you know, so I just, we sent the materials off and I wrote, um, I wrote a, a, an email to her just sort of putting, just saying, you know, why I would love to work with her and why I thought the project might interest her. Um, and I just think it's really important for people to hear how banal the process actually was. And the fact was she received it, she read it, she liked it. We met up and, you know, she came on board, which is incredible, you know, and she's, um, I really, I really admire her taste. She's quite she's she's quite eclectic. She's popped up, I think, in a lot more stuff than people realize over the years because she's quite a chameleon. So I think people now she's kind of reached this critical mass where people are like, wow, you know, she's done so much and she's brilliant. And it's like, yes, she's been doing this for quite a while, you know. Um, but you know, getting to work with her on, on your first feature is obviously incredible. And you know, I was I loved every day. You know, and what she provided us with then to, to go into the edit with and fit all these tiny choices that she's constantly making. Everything comes from a really rooted place of authenticity, a very thoughtful place. Um, and then 
and then finding that dynamic between her and the family units. So it's quite it's quite a chamber ensemble piece. You know, it's it's quite um, claustrophobic in its own way. These two families, um, and and so just finding the the kids that would work with that. And again, I didn't want to go with like sort of I don't mean to dismiss it, but more sort of state practice kids or stage kids. So um, finding these guys, neither of them had a lot of experience. I think any screen experience actually before this. Um, but they just brought something that I really believed and, and I really believed looking at, you know, Neve in front of the camera has this incredible stillness that I've talked about that, that was quite unusual among her peers um, and also really able for improvising because she's she's a cheeky wee soul, you know, um, and, and similarly Lewis, you know, just he just somehow sat in this incredible, he just really emoted this place between being a boy and a man. Um, and his sort of, when we put the two of them together as a chemistry read, you know, it, it's just magic and you go, there they are, you know, so. I really loved as well that um, Tig was really a part of it. He wasn't just like the other child, you know what I mean? And he was really a part of it as well in the sense of, you know, the way sometimes when you watch films um, that might have a similar kind of theme um, of that kind of maybe psychotic, thriller or you know that suspense um it's kind of usually always the woman that everyone thinks is mad and it's like you know no it's it's just a creak in the pipes you know whereas it was really nice that Tig was really involved in that as well and his the, that protective element over his family and, and his late sister as well really really came through in a really lovely understated way and that's a really that's a tough role for a young man to play and he just did Agreed. such a great job and the same with marty mccann's role like you know it was quite background but actually like i, I it, it always strikes me that i want um i want to feel compassion for everyone and i think that um tig as a character is a real i always called him the, the the truth teller the seer you know he sees everything he's saying it like it is he's about the only person doing that but no one's listening mm. and it's quite heartbreaking um but yeah the way he the way he approached that and i think he learned a lot again just on his feet you know on the shoot yeah. uh, which was really glorious actually to to watch and that's so amazing about Andrea like I think it was the same um in I did a podcast with Swan Song and Benjamin Benjamin was talking about you know just sending the script you know to Maharshala kind of going as if you know but like the, the answer is always no if you don't ask you know yeah. but I think create like artists like that they recognize good work when they see it and a good script and they go, no, that's what I want to be a part of. Do you know what I mean? And that's got to be so satisfying and, and confidence boosting as well in itself. But um, so you had shot the film and then we went into lockdown. So I think, I think a lot of the kind of post, sorry, first of all, talk about serious post project blues, <laughs> that it's like the ultimate kind of come down I'd say but what was it like kind of finishing the film during that time was there a lot of zooms and texts and emails yeah. <laughs> as opposed to just being in the room or what yeah. was that like it was a really I mean I, I'm always very careful to qualify when I say it was really tough because like clearly there were a lot of people who had a much tougher time and at least you know we were I was able to finish the film so relatively speaking um it was just yeah it was a massive felt like a massive bummer you know we shot it was really exciting and then we just got into the edit when lockdown happened and um, I'm a very collaborative person. I really bounce off people's energy in the room. We never really got to do a proper test audience. I had to picture lock without seeing it on the big screen, you know, all of which is really tough, um, let alone for your first feature. 
Uh, but, you know, balanced with that with the fact that we did get to finish it, that we worked out a workflow. I had great, you know, people I was working with in post. Um, we got our pickups guerrilla style completely on the fly. <laughs> um, you know, and um, you know, I'm very proud of the of, of the final product. And and you do kind of go, right, well, if we were if I was able to finish it under those circumstances, you know, like everything now moving forward feels you know, really <laughs> sort of luxurious, like what Absolutely. we're all doing together, great. <laughs> so you kind of briefly mentioned earlier about Andrea with, um, you know, her kind of thoughts and views on the character in the film and stuff. Was it quite a collaborative process in regards to the actors? Was there like improv or input from them? Or as you, you were saying there with chemistry tests and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of like, you know, a free for all, wasn't, <laughs> but yeah, I would say that my way of working is, like I say, there's a, I want to, what's really paramount to me always is that I, is, is that I believe them. I, I need to see a performance that I believe. And in order to get that, a lot of the time you have to create the space, even when you're like against it with time, you know, and whatever other logistics, you, you know, are sort of screaming around you, your job is to create the space and um, provide whatever emo emotional information is needed for the performer to find their way there. So one way of doing that, especially with the younger performers, um, was I would usually run the scene a few times by the book, sort of what we had on script, and then start to like let it breathe a little bit. And that way we caught lots of gorgeous stuff, a lot of completely improvised stuff that made its way into the film and gives it that real nice texture. Um, and, you know, I think that the team, Chloe Thompson, my DP as well, was very sort of, you know, uh, alert and open to finding things as we went along. And it just meant that you're sort of making the most of the time that you've got. Absolutely. I think the tension and the pacing is so perfect. Um, nothing feels like too pushed, even like really kind of subtle things like the class difference between the two families and even kind of the spiritual element of it. Um, it just feels really perfectly layered, which means that we can sit back and just enjoy the per per performances. And I really found the score complemented the, the pacing and the tension perfectly, especially with the song, the free design, the love you song. Um, so what was the what was the kind of scoring process of the film like? So Adam Yanada Bozowski also um, scored Saint Maud and uh, I was looking for our composer around and I and I saw Sim Maud and I and what I could hear not only did I really love the film but what I could hear in the composition were influences that I'm that I was also you know mi mi mixing around and listening to and, and being influenced by and I got quite excited by that so um I contacted Adam we started talking and obviously here before is a very different film um and it creates a very di different atmosphere but you know Adam was is just so um idiosyncratic and creative and responsive um so the first thing he did was create like a smorgasbord of sounds and that started a conversation between us and I, sometimes he would write tracks for certain parts of the film but I you know he wouldn't necessarily score the picture so I would mix that around um because you know it's always a surprise you know what can come from that and you know I think in the same way the free design was a track that I didn't I didn't um, head into the film with when we shot that sequence but I knew roughly what it wanted to feel like and then one day I heard the track and I was like that's that's it um, and that sequence came together really quickly in the edit and basically stayed that way right through 
um, there's something there's something that happens that's quite instinctive, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, Adam, I think the score that was one of the things that was hard during lockdown is I know I knew that people were first experiencing the film often through like poor sound system, laptops, even phones, you know, and you're like, you know, of course you can't stop that. And it's great that the film is being shared, but to finally get the full fat experience of being having a theatrical release and knowing that people could hear that beautiful score and sound design as well, which felt so much like a part of the character of the film um, and all that gorgeous work, you know, that Adam's done. Absolutely. It felt really, really present as a as a, a, a thing of the film. I noticed some um, superstitions kind of slotted in there as well, which I really appreciate. Um, big superstitious gal over here. <laughs> but so we had I think it was the like a white the white feather and then also the bird in the house as well. So were these, mm. you're were the these... first person that's mentioned that. No, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I can go past a magpie at this yeah. stage. <laughs> so were those um, little notes that you that you really kind of wanted in there and wanted to hit? Yeah, totally. You know, I lived, I grew up in that world as well. Like, you know, my mum would still be very live in those both worlds, you know, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, I love it, um, and I find it really valuable. Um, and I, you know, I've talked about it a fair bit, but although I don't like to sort of front load and say you know, oh, it's a film about grief per se. It clearly, you know, um, it wants to explore how we each navigate that. And something that was always important to me is that those things aren't ex- mutually exclusive. You know, so it's, you know, Laura, Laura certainly at the end of the film is feels her daughter as close as she ever did. Um, and I think that's sort of, sometimes people don't pick up on that. <laughs> and I think those things are really important um, to, the, to the sort of the texture of the, of the film. Um, so those little, I mean, it, it was so funny because those are the things that very easily get noted out early on by producers, well-meaning producers like, but why, why is there the scene with the bird? <laughs> and it's not, you can't really just be like, it's poetry, yeah. but, um, but no, those things were all sort of carefully layered in, um, around Laura and also around Brendan's mum, who, you know, very much is a sort of gateway to that, you know, they have that sort of slightly off camera chat in the graveyard, you know, about, right spirituality it's kind of always there on the periphery of the film I think it's really important that you said that as well especially with Laura and um, feeling close to her daughter because it really is she doesn't she doesn't go looking for any of this Laura do you know what I mean like the superstitions it just kind of all seems to happen around her you know it's not that she's actually you know making it up or searching for it or or creating it it actually just kind of happens around her which I think is is also quite important for the film it's crucial in a way because Mm. we should never really feel and I and I'm very pleased to to note that it's been it has rarely been received in the way that this is a film about a crazy woman having a you know mental health breakdown you know it's we're we're in the world with her and other people are seeing and hearing what she is and I think that that makes it all the more chilling actually you know before various things come to light um so yeah that was always quite important and you know it's certainly at the top of the film as well when we meet Laura she's she's doing it you know she's getting on she's survived you know she's she's moving forward with her family she's together you know and I think those things are really important Definitely. It's it's a really, really fresh element of the film as well. And you kind of playfully strum horror notes throughout to kind of 
amp up the ambiguity and to kind of keep us guessing and, and focused as well, which I think is a tough thing to do nowadays. Um, and sometimes people say, you know, you write one film, you shoot a second and you edit a third. Okay. Did you did you find that the film changed a lot throughout the processes or did it stay quite close to the original? Um, it, the essence of it absolutely stayed very close to the original. Um, I completely subscribe to the whole, you make a film three times, um, probably because I come from being a screenwriter, but also I have a real interest in editing. <clears throat> and I think being, um, not being afraid of that and, and really recognizing like a good editor is a magician, you know, and they can show you things you've never seen. Um, uh, and the film, there's a lot, obviously, you know, we shot a lot more stuff, but there's stuff that doesn't make it into the film because you need to like, you need to calibrate the focus of the film or certainly as time went on, it really became such a dance of like an just an extra beat on a look here or like a one word of dialogue there could entirely shift how people were receiving the film. So, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of, the really exciting thing, and this happens as a writer as well, but I think now having been through the process, it's just part of the whole process is a lot of stuff can be scaffolding and that goes in really early on for loads of reasons because it, you need to, producers are reading it, financiers are reading it, you know, it needs to be spelt out in a way. And I'm always interested always in how much you can actually strip away and what still stands and what is still communicated. And I think that restraint and minimalism um, and economy were, were qualities that I went into the film with anyway. Um, but it, like I say, it's always, it's always quite amazing actually how, how much you can do with very little. And how did you find um, uh, the difference between like that getting kind of financiers and backing uh, compared to like commissions because you've been commissioned by the Royal Court and the Abbey and Clean Break and so what was that kind of like as as uh, as kind of financial um, people around you in different mediums? It's gosh that's a really I say gosh now because my parent I was PG PG that's a really interesting question. Um, I guess because the stakes are so high in film and you're talking such large sums relatively, mm. um, you really, I thought in theatre you had to sort of, you know, sing for your money sort of thing. But I think in film there, it goes through so many exact eyes, so many rounds of notes. You're interrogated so much that, it, you know, on reflection, it starts to make some of those commissions in theatre feel like, you know, freedom, <laughs> which again, it, it just depends on your journey through. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's a, they, they get a lot more say in, in, in TV and film and learning. I think, yes, my experience from theatre has taught me how to take a good note. And, it, well, and, my, and as a screenwriter, you know, it's always that thing of what's under the note. So you might, I, I think it's never useful to ignore notes. I think it's very easy for people to, to buy into the notion that, you know, you're a maverick filmmaker and no one understands your vision. Um, but I think certainly experiences taught me that, like, you might not like to listen to it. You might not always take it on board, but there's always value in trying to process where, responses to a film or a script or whatever is coming from um, and there was a lot there was a lot of that to navigate um in the film world I think compared to the theatre yeah and I'd say I mean I can only imagine that there's definitely a fine balance to find between 
like that, taking notes and taking on kind of external pressures like that and then also still listening to your gut you know and remembering why you're actually doing it and what you want to say and all that because I'd say outside noise can get very loud oh yeah Um, yeah. everybody everybody's you know everyone's a (laughs) everyone's a director um so I think filtering that and learn how to process is is a massive part of the of the gig and you obviously you wrote it you directed it and you said you love being involved in the edit but you also do a dab hand at acting as well was there was there ever a, a point throughout here before that you thought you might make a little cameo or get myself in there yeah. <laughs> as a school honest. teacher or anything <laughs> to be honest I was probably just too busy and bricking it every day to, yeah. <laughs> to risk that maybe down the line I don't know um, but I think I think I, to be honest, I think I use a different part of my brain or a different muscle when I'm directing, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to risk um, confuse like confusing that or muddying it. Having said that, during prep for the film, um, I did disappear <laughs> for a couple of days to do a one a one woman show in the fringe. <laughs> I love it. She does it all. She does it all. We're like what? Yes, <laughs> you do. It's like guys, I can't I can't not, I can't let them down. I have to you know. I was looking back, obviously, it was complete madness. But, you know, I just think, you know, you feel again, you talked about being an artist earlier. And I I really try and champion that term um, because I think it's easy to silo yourself into one role. And I think if you're creative and you need to nourish yourself within reason, you know, for me, keeping all of those sort of cooking is important. I also think um, I'm 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 an actor as well, and I think that there's no, there's you always get so much joy and kind of relief when you're being directed by someone who has also acted, because uh, and I always really really admire anyone who can direct and act in something, um especially if they're like a lead or if it's a solo piece because it's they really are kind of two different brains, but like that, like if the director has been an actor or is an actor there's just that different layer of understanding which is just is is uh speaks volumes I think and sometimes that really really comes through as well um and I think that definitely did here but seeing as it was your first feature are there any kind of major lessons that you've learned on on this particular project that you're going to take into uh, into others in the future make sure that you have really good snacks because on like day two or three I got like really dizzy because I'd just completely forgotten to you know look after myself Mm. and it is so intensive and you know really it's it's boring but it's so it's so crucial it's key um it's key keep your feet warm we were shooting in December oh my god like it was it was so cold and um yeah eventually I got I got like really thermal socks and (laughs) really practical stuff Mm. shoots um I think I I've mentioned this a few times just reflecting on the whole experience but one of the things that I learned about myself that I feel is like hugely key to surviving in the industry generally is the ability to just like roll with it so I I think I think I kind of realized that I have the capacity to absorb quite a lot of stress and stress manifests itself in people in really curious ways (laughs) so you know, it's that thing about turning up every day. People are putting in really long hours. You know, the film and TV industry as yet is still running in a crazy way, you know, with like really crazy long days, you know, maybe 11, 11 day fortnight turnarounds. Like, you know, people are caning it and to get the best work out of people, they need to feel, you know, looked after and appreciated and confident and heard. Um, and I think 
for whatever reason, again, maybe my background, maybe working my way up, you know, from staff writing right at the bottom in writers' rooms that were basically like blood on the walls, <laughs> blood baths. You know, I went into it sort of very conscious of that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, just being being aware of that at all times. Um, just, yeah, I, I would say that to anybody <laughs> sort of. Happy crew, happy, happy yeah. crew. Um, and the location, so it's it was shot near where you grew up? Oh yeah, like totally. It was very, very much like the landscape that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, so lot, it's so local that if you look out my window now and just up the road, <laughs> we, we shot some of the B&B stuff up there, um, which again was just like lovely to sort of celebrate places that I haven't seen on screen that you've gone, you know, yeah. like, why not? Why not? It looks amazing. Exactly. I think the two houses, the houses joining, there's a few external shots of just of the house. I love the one of the lights going off. Um, I love, love, love that shot. But I just think the two, the two houses to get the two houses joined together. That shot is it's so it's just a shot of two houses, but it's so powerful because they're so intertwined, these two families, but they're really not. And I think also the. So where it's obviously set in Northern Ireland, I don't know if this is even was even conscious, but because of the whole kind of neighborly, um, they're friendly, you know, but it's kind of that very kind of externally, you know, small talk. Hi, how are you kind of friendly? There's definitely still a wariness there. Was that kind of because there's been so much segregation throughout the north and like people kind of not knowing who everyone is especially if there's a new family in town or anything like that was that kind of an element at all or was that just kind of a natural thing that just came out I think that it's it's in there and there's no point um ignoring it or trying to avoid it but it's part of the texture and the specificity of the setting of the film so I think that the way that I that I hope to work and the way that I think the film has gone out into the world is that there's a, clearly a universal element that will hit people in a certain place and is, you know, very accessible. And then there's the sort of cultural specificity, even you talking about the bird in the house is, you know, not something that everybody will get. And in the same way, that, that wariness, that sort of unease between the two families and the, and, you know, and the, the recent history of, you know, of this part of the world. I, th- I knew all of that would be in there and at play and that you don't really need to name it, but it can still do its work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of how I felt about that. Um, and I think, you know, increasingly I've wanted to tell stories that, and I, and I think this is true of my theatre work as well, even when I lean into the tensions that are quite particularly Northern Irish, um, or that it's not... Um, it's not as it's not as simplistic as a binary, you know, as like green or orange or, or, or whatever. I think, you know, class, generally speaking, um, is the fault line across which a lot of that stuff plays out anyway. Yeah. Um, so Agreed, it's, both, yeah. it's both universal and specific. Yeah, I think it's also really nice to see Northern Irish film. That's not about that as well. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really lovely. Um, so what would you like? What is something that you would like viewers to take away from the film? Oh, see now with this question, I always feel it feels like I'm being tricksy, but I I am a great believer in not in not prescribing what people should you know feel or take away or you know mm. I I think if they come to it um, and experience something, and if that 
is in counterpoint to the person who sat next to them, all the mm. better. <laughs> I bumped into my aunt um, on Monday and she had gone to say it without telling me. And she was furious because she had all these questions. <laughs> it started pick, you know, pick, picking my brain about it. I was like, yeah, yeah great. Um, but I just think, I don't know, it's a first feature. I'm really proud of it. I think that the collaboration with, you know, costume design, production design, as you, you know, composition, everything that you've flagged up, you know, it takes it takes a massive team to 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 you know to create these things, um, and I just have enjoyed <clears throat> how much people seem to have responded to that. So, yeah, it's yeah. definitely one I think that you could just go and see, and then go for a pint after and talk about all the different subtleties that loads of different people are going to pick up on. No, I'm um, just gonna, I'm just going to say like there's there's little things that people haven't even really picked up on. When when Laura's in the bathroom, she leans down at one point and there's the reflection of a little girl's head in the mirror. And then when she stands up, it's gone. I know, and I, I know it's there. <laughs> I'm raging. I didn't like, pick up on that. Or when she's running the bath, the, the water is running backwards. There's like there's like little bit. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Know. I'm just going to have to watch it again. <laughs> I, yeah, I really, um, it's it's really interesting what people pick up on. And I love that you mentioned about the lights going out. That was one of my favourite little moments as well. It's just the devil. I did I want to ask actually about the, um, just when you brought me back there to the bathroom was when she's in the bathroom, all the tops are off, all mm. the the bottles. Was that yeah. a, because in my head then I thought was Megan in the house. And mm-hmm. then is that what it was? I think. Well, um, we know she's been in the house because she's, yeah she's all over Laura's phone and yeah. also we we literally saw her sniffing around that bathroom on the night when they were out the back garden do you know what I mean so yeah. <laughs> that night, oh so great she's fantastic but yeah. so where can people catch here before if they haven't seen it so uh no I wish I was more across the details but it is due to be streaming uh in a couple of weeks time so March it should be uh, available um, and when uh, we know all of the streaming platforms we will put them up to make sure everyone can see it so what is next for Stacey Gregg at the moment what's going on now well uh, not that this isn't enough Busy, busy. Um, I've, I directed a block of um, a new show for HBO and Sky called The Baby, and um, that is going out imminently. It's going out in the States, I think, next month, and then it'll be available over here. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And my wow. first foray into TV directing, um, which is a whole other whole other thing. That's a different um, podcast. We'll yeah, be back um, <laughs> that's another one. Um, and then I'll be working on my next feature, so... Oh, so exciting. Amazing. So I do ask everyone um, at the end of a podcast, you can either you can answer both or just one is also fine because I know they can be ridiculous questions. But if there was ever a film, I don't like to say favorite film, but if there was ever a film that um, has really made an impact on your life and or your favorite Irish film. So the, I, the, the film, this sounds a little cheaty, but because it's actually an animation, but Watership Down like traumatized me, <laughs> had a huge impact. Mm. I watched that over and over and over. Um, and I just think like in terms of things, early memories um, of drama <laughs> mm. and, quite, and quite dark stuff, I think Watership Down was a big one. Um, and like the way Bright Eyes, that music plays in the middle of that as well. Yeah, love it. Um, Irish film, when I when I first watched what Richard did a few years ago it really um it really got under my skin and I loved Lenny's work anyway but 
there was just something, and I think maybe you can feel it. There is something about, again, the restraint and the stillness um, and the poetry of that piece and the troubling quality to it that I really admired and definitely came back to a number of times over the years. And I think, you know, all of Lenny's work is so sort of thoughtful and careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm a great admirer of that. So yeah, yeah what um, Richard did. Was it's a- definitely a film that stays with you, I think, for, for sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for coming on to chat to me today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. And here at Irish Film London, we wish you all the best with all of your future successes. And hopefully we'll be having you back on very soon to talk about them. And we will see you very soon. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week's interview. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you to Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme. Myself and Jerry will be back in a fortnight with a brand new interview. See you then.